Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Postcard from the Past and Wardle Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we spend more time than is strictly necessary wondering about pretty little cardboard oblongs and how that white space can be filled with cliches, gossip, news, weather reports, poetry, or a mixture of all of the above, as we attempt to understand the memories, meanings, and stories held by picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson, and today I'm delighted to say that my guests are comedy writer and novelist Paul B. Bassett Davis, and editor and language-obsessive guru David Shariat Madari. David and Paul, hello and welcome. Hello. Hello. Now, David Shariat Madari is a writer and editor at The Guardian, uh, specialising in looking at the twists and turns of the language we use and hear, and the opinions also behind the news. Um, and he recently put to the sword some common misconceptions about language in his excellent new book, Don't Believe a Word, um, a fact checker on some of the myths we tell ourselves about language and how it works, as well as a spin round the major linguistic theories, and it includes swearing. Um, David comes to us with an LN1 postmark. That's right, that's Lincoln, where I spent the formative years of my life. Very good. And David, do you still send postcards? I'm afraid I don't. Uh, the only person, well, the only postcards in my life are the postcards I get from my mum when she goes gallivanting around. But I'm unfortunately uh, a bit lax in returning the compliment, uh, returning the favour of sending postcards myself. Well, I'll let that hang there. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna criticise you for that. Now, Paul, uh, Paul B. Davis uh, is a man of many parts. Um, mainly funny ones. Uh, he started out in one-man shows at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Um, you'll have heard his comedy on the radio uh, that he either wrote or produced, or both, uh, including Do Go On with Graham Gardner and Griffiths Jones, the radio sitcom At Home with the Hardys, uh, with the much-missed Jeremy Hardy, or his own sitcom Reception. Paul also wrote the screenplay for the feature animation film The Magic Roundabout, uh, and his novel in front of me... Big, large tome. Dead Writers in Rehab is a funny, hallucinatory, literary comedy about writers um, with unusually a title that absolutely describes it. Dead Writers in Rehab. That's the plot. And Paul comes to us today bearing what postmark? E9. E9. Is that is that where you are these days or where you were? Or? Uh, that's That's where I am right now. I don't know what the postmark is where I was born, because I was born in Yorkshire. Ah. But my um, 
my parents moved when I was two. But I, f- I, I, I soon found their new address and uh, I was hot on their heels. <laughs> now, I'm in Hackney. I'm the oldest hipster in town. Very good. And, Paul, when did you last send a postcard? Um, quite recently. I uh, don't know exactly. I, I do still send postcards. I tend to send arty po- you know, pictures, usually my favourite pictures or odd pictures. I kind of have a habit of whenever I go to a gallery or a, or a bookshop, I buy a postcard or two. So I send pictures, um, some favourites that I've got, but others just odd things. I like, I like, I'd, I like, I'd like to see postcards survive because I think it's a lovely thing to, to, to get and a nice thing to do. So you use them to keep in touch with people? Yeah, or just send as a... Yes, I guess so. That's, that's probably the short, the short version, yeah. Well, we'll find out more about the kind of cards you've sent over mm. the years shortly. Um, before we discover the cards David and Paul have brought along, I'll give you a quick card of mine. Um, this is, of course, um, a postcard from the past card, like I do on Twitter, a past postcard. An old card from which I've selected just a part of the message. So um, we'll start with this one. This is uh, Dove Cottage, Grassmere, uh, another dead writer. Um, who, whose um, colleague appears in your book? In fact. Yes, I don't know. If, I don't know if uh, I, I don't know if Wordsworth was a, was a substance abuser, but Coleridge was certainly. He hung, he hung around with a lot. He certainly yes, exactly. It's a bit like it's a bit like what they say about Trump or somebody. You may not, you know, you may not be a racist, but every one of your friends is a racist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every one of Wordsworth's friends seemed to have a heavy lord. Yeah, habit, yeah, so. maybe, I think he was supplying, to be honest. But yeah. anyway. that's Wordsworth Cottage, isn't it? Yes. So, yes. But I remember being there and. Um, they do have a cabinet in the upstairs room which has a uh, file of black drop which right, was okay. which is laudanum yep. so it's oh. definitely part of Wordsworth's right. life as well and um, the sister Doric, she, she had, yeah. had suffered from nerves like yes, a kind of yes. vast army of twittering spinsters throughout throughout Britain who'd be very upset if you told them they were taking drugs but used to swig from the little black bottle all the yeah. time. I, I remember, now I may be completely misremembering this, and it's just come to me, but I remember reading, I think I was reading De Quincey, if I might drop that name, <laughs> and he, he wrote about many things. But I think he, he talked about when he was staying with Wordsworth at Dove Cottage, and what really upset him, he got a new book had been arrived, a new book, the pages were still uncut, as books used to be in that rather nice way. And Wordsworth... I hope I got the story the right way around. And Wordsworth was at the breakfast table and took a, 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 a talk. We were discussing breakfast for our sound checks. He, he took a butter knife that still had butter on it and oh, opened dear. the pages of De Quincey's book. And I think this probably sent De Quincey oh, into an, another of his crazed uh, journeys. But anyway. Pretty insensitive. Yeah. You have to have a slug of opium after that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> anyway, at the breakfast table tales from Dove Cottage. Lucky so, he didn't end up with the butter knife in his throat. Yeah. Of course, I could have got it the wrong way around. Maybe it was words. Were, anyway, it doesn't really matter. So this is a card of, of Dove Cottage of, of, um, from 1961. Um, it was the centenary of post office savings that year, as the postmark, uh, the stamp points out. And this intrigued me because, um, actually because David's here and we're looking at um, one thing we talk about is the way language changes. And they're describing their holiday. Uh, this person who is just known as the letter G, or possibly J, doesn't give their name. And they say, The journey yesterday, as hot as rocket re-entry, and hot here too. And I thought, mm. that's quite interesting. Rocket re-entry being used as a phrase in 1961. You'd think it would have come... 
So that, that was, was well. The moon. It was probably that might have even been before Sputnik, because wasn't Sputnik just before Sputnik early six or maybe it's late fifties? We'll have to. The one with the dog, we'll like, with Leica. Oh, Leica the dog. Oh yeah. yeah. So it would have been in the news, you know, yeah. at the beginning of the yeah. space race yeah. when rockets, when it was just rockets and maybe not. Yeah. And but re-entry, them. not just going up and mm. disappearing. So yeah. I thought I was intrigued yeah. by that because uh, the other, I've got it right. The date sixty-one. So eight years before. Um, the Apollo mission that we've been recently sort of commemorating, uh, they were using the phrase oh, rocket yeah. re-entry. So uh, notes and queries, isn't it? It's not, it's not the most important thing, but it's interesting to me. Unless he was one of these people plucked from the, from the Nazi uh, V2 programme, like <laughs> Werner von Braun. Yeah, well. nice, li- now oh, living God, a nice, could be... innocent life visiting Wordsworth's cottage. Well, then there's a the more sinister explanation, which is it could be about nuclear weapons and re-entry, re-entry of, um, of uh, warheads. Of oh, they've gone, gone so up. far up. But then maybe that's a later development, because you have. Yeah, uh, I think it might be. You have something. This is a slightly nerdy thing that I know a little bit about. But you have these um, multiple independently targeted re-entry vehicles. So they're the warheads that come down off uh, a, a nuclear rocket, right? And can be independently, you know. But they are re-entry. So maybe that's because that's the height of the Cold War, isn't it? Yeah, or, sixty-one. It's still pretty pretty chilly, I think. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Well, m- more research required. If you could both go away and find out for me, that would be... I expect you'll have hundreds of outraged listeners writing oh, in. There's going to be so many. I'd like hundreds of listeners. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> well, perhaps outrage will stimulate <laughs> Good. Well, thank you for clearing that up so effectively for me. Um, I'll, I'll just do one more because that was uh, quite controversial. This is uh, from 1971, and uh, it's, it's another rural scene. This is of... Uh, oh, also near Keswick, actually, funny enough, Borrowdale. And the reason I was interested in this is quite different. It's, it's a sort of little social moment, really. And it was sent um, to Manchester from someone called... It looks like it's called She. She, as in the Ryder Haggard, She. Perhaps that's... Maybe it's Sue. No, I think it's She. And they're discussing uh, something that happened. They said, on Saturday night, we went for the annual Mountaineering Club dinner in a hotel in Keswick. We had melon, Cumberland vegetable soup, popiette of sole with shrimp sauce, turkey with cranberry sauce, and fruit salad, coffee, and after eight mints. Mm. Is your stomach rumbling or do you feel slightly nauseous? No, no, I'm (laughs) drooling. When, no, what I, was the I only had one piece of toast for breakfast. This was in 1971, 6th of May. 19th. I mean, it reminds me a bit of, you know, the 70s dinner party Twitter feed. It reminds me a little bit. Oh, uh, yes, yes, I'm not yes. sure what a poupiette is, even. <laughs> Sounds like uh, um, yeah. what, I what think we were discussing earlier po- in terms po- of your dog. Is but, it poupiette or poupiette? Anyway, she's put that in speech marks, I think, in, in, in inverted commas, poupiette, as if it's a, not quite sure what it is herself. Mm. And she ate it. So, um, but I, there is a, 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 a tiny subcategory of postcards from the 60s and 70s that enumerate or uh, spell out whole menus of special meals. Um, so there's nothing new about people taking photographs of their lunch. It's the equivalent it's of the, the, uh, it's the Instagram the, It's the early Instagram adopter. It probably yeah. goes back to, you know, as far back as you can trace. We'll, we'll probably find Egyptian hieroglyphs <laughs> on stones of sort of, you know, <laughs> Owl, cat, 
plate of food <laughs> pyramid <laughs> walking sideways. Yes, what a delicious Look meal that lunch. was. I yes. love the owl and the cat especially. <laughs> Look at my lunch. Yeah, no, well, I just, I'm always intrigued by what, and it, and it was special. So she wanted yeah, to yeah. tell Sounds. Mr. and Mrs. Dean, M- Mrs. Dean and Miss Barlow about it and um, how interesting someone else's dinner is is always debatable but, but mrs um, dean and miss bardo shared an address did they they did i'm not going to tell you what the address is no but that's just that's just another little another detail layer. to think yes, of isn't yes, it yes. Well, mrs dean and miss barlow perhaps one was the other's exactly. housekeeper you and i would never say know. these two cards they are of exactly the same colour palette together. Yeah. They kind of merge into a dirty green Which is English. the Lake District yeah. all over, which I don't mean to insult your <laughs> listeners from Cumbria. I love the Lake District. But I those know it quite well. But those all-purpose, technicolour, yes, English countryside postcard. Yeah. I mean, luckily, they've, t- they've chucked some foxgloves, lupins, in the foreground of Wordsworth Cottage, which gives it a bit more depth. Anyway, just to let you know at home, uh, images of all the cards we discussed today are on the blog postcardfromthepast.co.uk so you can tell that we're not making it up and you can discover for yourself. Now, uh, Paul and David, you've been kind enough to come to the studio today with some postcards of your own. David, let's start with you. What's the first card you've got for us today? Well, this is a a card of Describe it, it's a sort of cityscape with a beautiful old building and a very tall tower on the right side. Uh, it's not immediately obvious that it's a minaret. It's not got precisely the spiky form that you might expect, but it is indeed a minaret. And it's actually the Great Mosque of Aleppo ah. in Syria. Um, so this is a postcard I was sent by in about 2001, I think, by when it, when it presumably still looked like that, it did still look like that. I mean, and then that's the 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 sad, devastating thing is that minaret is is no longer, and um, the minaret lasted from 1090 to 2013 um, when it was destroyed, presumably by a shell or something. But obviously, there's fierce fighting in Aleppo, which has uh, destroyed many of its monuments. Um, so this was sent to me by a colleague of mine, a university colleague of mine. We studied Arabic together. We were sort of one of 11 or 12 oddball eccentric types who decided it would be a good idea to study Arabic and Persian or various other languages, um, depending on what we'd opted for at university. And uh, my friend was saying that, you know, I really must get, what does he say, uh, it's well worth it. I think you would really enjoy Syria if you get the chance. And sadly, I never made it to Syria. And obviously, you know... It, it would be a different country. It's a different it country now. now. And many of the monuments that he enjoyed and we would have enjoyed uh, seeing uh, are no more. I have been to Aleppo and it was a beautiful city. And it had a sort of grandeur to it, actually. Particularly the, 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 I, mean, I do like going to markets and the big, the big souk of Aleppo was terrific. Well, they're these huge mercantile centres. I mean, and also they have layer and layer, uh, 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 layer upon layer of history. You know, I think, I think that this, the Great Mosque, was the Agora originally. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, you know, these things are adapted for different purposes as different civilizations roll in. Um, but you know, the impression I get from similar cities um, in the Middle East is that it's just 
these were these great crossroads. Um, and I'm not sure whether Aleppo was on the Silk Route, but I'm sure it was a kind of uh, entrepot of, of some kind and a, and a trading nation and a sort of cosmopolitan, multicultural place before, uh, you know, before the, the modern version of that we're used to. My, son's, my son is learning Arabic. Is he? He's 22. He's, um, he's just been... For, he was in Lebanon and he very dutifully didn't go to Beirut because he knew it was very cosmopolitan and he wouldn't be forced to speak. He went to Tripoli in Lebanon, yes. mm. which is a place, which, not, uh, not to be confused, with Tripoli in Libya, obviously. But he's, he's in very kind of does a lot of environmental work. He's mm. just about to do an MA... Um, imperial, but he, he's going to specialise in, or has been actually, in water scarcity and resort and um, sustainability oh, in well. the Middle East. So he's he's you know, brush, brushing up his Arabic so he can do that. Yeah. Very good. good so, David, this card came from a friend, and have you kept in touch? Haven't kept in touch. So I think you know this is about sort of nineteen, twenty years ago now. Um, we haven't kept in touch, but most of your old university acquaintances, you're able to sort of, you know, search them out online and find them on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. The point about this guy is he's completely undiscoverable. There's no evidence of his name anywhere. He doesn't have a LinkedIn. He doesn't have Twitter or anything like that. And I suspect it's because he ended up going into uh, the intelligence services, mm. wow. which is something that, you know, is an option for people who do yeah, yeah. Uh, unusual languages. Yeah. And I just have the yes. feeling that's yes. what happened to him. Were you ever approached to, to I join I wasn't us? approached. How disappointing. I wasn't. I know. It's a bit, you know, I wouldn't have done it. But totally you know, untrustworthy. You want, you want to be asked. <laughs> I'm sorry, David, you've now blown his cover. God. I'm going to have to kill both of you. Oh, I'm sorry. You won't be leaving this room. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, perhaps, perhaps uh, your anonymous uh, old colleague is even now sort of stalking the streets of Aleppo or, or similar cities. You never Possibly. know. Possible. Hope, hopefully, I won't have uh, identified him in some kind of you know in some kind of jigsaw way. Naturally, we've we've changed the details. The card is in fact of Amsterdam. <laughs> David's name is actually Eric. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, it's very good. I think. I mean, I, I, certainly for me, there's a kind of nostalgic uh, feeling about that. And I, I can't remember when I was in Syria, but. It was very, very memorable time, and, and um, you know those holidays where you have to work hard, where you have to get the yeah. get the bus, and it's quite hard work, yeah. and it's a difficult language, and all that stuff. You, they stay with you in a way longer than those easy city breaks, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. So, Paul, mm. we need to start with you now. The first card you want to discuss, you don't have any more. I know. Not quite sure how this works, but you are you you you, it's you, been you driving conjuring things up is what you okay. do. So. When I moved about two, th about three years ago, somewhere in the move, I lost a file of mine, which was a box file, which was called the weird file. <laughs> and it was dated from the days before the internet. I mean, it's all redundant now, like half the information in my head. I used to delight in the fact that I was full of, of useless facts and information. Of course, now you can find nearly everything out in five seconds. <laughs> but I used to have all cuttings and bits and pieces and odd art, just things that tickled me because they were weird. And this postcard, I believe I put in that file, which I now can't find, it's driving me mad because I've been up in the attic twice and in the garage. Oh, I'm and sorry I've made you do that. No, no, it was good exercise. Um, but the postcard was, it was sent to me in about 1980 by a girlfriend of mine who'd just gone to America for some reason. Um, and it's the, I'm amazed that the postcard made it to England because it is essentially a postcard of a man and a woman 
standing, grinning at the camera, stark naked, full <laughs> front noodle, as they say, and it was a sort of, I think it was a, a, a nudist colony promotional postcard because the man's got a pipe um, in, in that rather odd way. And the woman's, uh, they're just standing there, but it's all very, everything's out. It's all quite hairy. But it's not flippant. Bushy. It's, not, it's no, not for a joke. No, it's just these two people completely <laughs> naked. And it just astonishes me that this got through, because it wasn't in an envelope, it was a postcard of two <laughs> naked, a man and a woman, stark naked, and it got, got through from America to the United Kingdom. As I say, this was... I, I can mean, see why you held on to it. Yes, of course. It's very bereft that I can't find it. Um, as of fun. Uh, but the other odd thing about this was that... Um, because the, the um, I just moved. That's constantly moving. Uh, this this girl. This is I was in my twenties or something. She didn't have my new address, so she sent this postcard to my parents' <laughs> address. Um, and my mother made no comment. She just handed it over, saying, "Oh, what, that I can't remember her name, but that that, that girl you, you <laughs> went around with for a bit." She sent this from America and just handed it over. And it's a bit like, as I said, it's like watching TV. But it, it doesn't matter whether you're seven or seventy. <laughs> if you're watching TV with your mother or father or both, and a sex scene comes on, <laughs> it's never going to be. There's never a time that's going to be no, comfortable unless no. you have a very peculiar no. family. So it's never easy to receive a naked postcard via your mother. Via oh, your I, mother. I think that's a life lesson. Yeah, I think there's there's a. <laughs> Lesson there for all of us somewhere, yeah. But mercifully, in some ways, that card is no is, yeah. is, is not available it's somewhere. Today. But I don't know where it is. You can go on the blog; you won't find yeah. it. So um, we, we won't be pulled yeah. down. But you do have another card with you, which is real, and this is something you created. Well, yes, I used to send these postcards. This is one that I kept, um, uh, and I did a series of them in my. Uh, this is probably my very early twenties, or. Yeah, people did do stuff about making things for messages. It's, and, uh, it's quite a creative thing to do, it wasn't was. it? People expressive. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I do. you're right actually, because I can think of now of other people who did that. We used to send each other little things we'd made, and this is a, this is a, a postcard that is. It's a blank white postcard that says postcard on the back, and oh, this is a postcard address. Uh, uh, the address to be written on this side. Very helpful. But on the front, I've put a. A photo booth. I don't know if anybody remembers photo booth photos <laughs> of me, which has been sort of doctored. I had a series of, of the, it's just me slightly out of focus, get, looking into the, the photo booth camera, and I put red felt tip sort of flames all around it, and and there's for some reason there's a big red cross over my mouth. Then overlaid on that is some cut-up stuff, because I was oh, okay. very keen, uh, you know, I just discovered Burroughs, William Burroughs, and... Um, so this, there's there's a couple of found, overlaid sort of rather artistic. Well, I like to think it's artistic. Over the photo of me is uh, is one cut, one snipped out bit of text from something or other that says, at that instant there came a more terrific crash than any that had preceded it, and the whole place glared with intense light. And when they recovered their senses, saw a sheet of flame coming from. So it's all slightly cut up. And then there's a bit yeah. across the bottom which says, fire, fire! She cried, your head is a fire. It has been struck by lightning. And so I just sort of chopped wow. these phrases up. Well, well chosen, them on the... dramatic. And uh, and there is a connection with the my the, the novel. Yes, of course. Um, Dead writers in rehab because I, I became a very keen. You know, I got. I think he's quite somebody you usually discover when you're quite young. William Burroughs, and it was his partner. Um, Brian Geisen, who's alleged to have discovered the cut-up technique, which then Burroughs adopted for 
um, particularly for his novel The Naked Lunch. And people like, I think you mentioned earlier, David, um, Bowie became very keen on it all, that, that sort of as using it as a kind of uh, doorway to the to the to the unconscious or the subconscious, the idea of, of bit, a bit like uh, you know the I Ching or Tara, these 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 phrases which may acquire some relevance because of their because of their very ran, apparent randomness. And but and I do in person. One uh, William Burroughs is one of the the dead, the deceased substance abusers whose voice <laughs> I, I impersonate, whose literary voice I impersonate in in the novel Dead Writers in Rehab. And just very briefly, I, you know, I thought he would be one of the easiest ones because mm. you, know, you read William Burroughs, you read Naked Lunch, and you think, well, it's just chucking a bit of stuff about people turning into lizards and a couple of, you know, images of young of teenage boys sort of ejaculating as they're being hanged and, and <laughs> typewriters melting and the Bob's usual your, stuff. Bob's your uncle, but of course, it turned out he was the most difficult one really? because that stuff is is meticulously crafted. Yes, yes. and they, and it was very very it took a, for about a year. It was edited by Brian Geisen and Alan Ginsberg. And you actually, once you, it's, you can parody it, but if you try to pastiche it, it gets very, very hard because yes. it's extremely well-crafted writing. So that was a real, that was a kind of learning experience, if you like. Yeah. It's funny, one of the things about your book, which is interesting, is that you've, you've taken this, uh, I'm, not, I'm not giving it away because the conceit is written on the cover, mm. Dead Writers in Rehab, but you're not parodying the writers. When you speak in their voices, you are... That bit is dead serious. You are trying to be that. Yes, I think. I, I'm. I, as I say, that to me, that's the difference between parody and pastiche. That may not be exactly the right, but it's uh, word. But it's it's interesting because parody. Um, I, I kind of figured this out when I was doing a lot of satirical comedy, if you like, uh, when I was writing a lot of comedy for radio and telly. That the thing about a parody is it can be very funny, but it's never going to be. It's always going to be lesser than yes. what it's parody. It doesn't necessarily it's, go very far, does it? it it's, it's constrained by and 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 has an inferior status to the original. Yes, yes. Um, whereas a kind of uh, respectful mimicry, which I would call pastiche, is is something that you might be able to be but come up with something that is genuinely creative in its own right. I'm not yeah. suggesting for a moment that anything I've written in the voices of people like Coleridge or William Burroughs or um, Mary Seacole or any of those people is is, is anyway goes beyond that. But it's an attempt to somehow... To ch it's life, to me, it was a kind of like being possessed, a bit of yeah. cha channeling them. Really? And, and the way to do it was, for me, it was like saying it wasn't about... How can I get inside this writer's mind? Because that's absurd. Because a writer doesn't write a book so that you can get inside their mind. Yeah. The, what they're writing is to try and they're trying to get inside your mind. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you have to. So what you do is you have to open your mind and allow the writer to do what a writer does, which is to get inside your mind. There's no way I would ever get inside, um, you know, Hunter Thompson's mind. Yeah, yeah. But he wrote in order to get inside a reader's mind. So it was making that reversal that was a kind of. Um, if you like, the, uh, a moment of realisation. So the whole book is a cut-up, actually. It's a cut-up of different yeah, different writers. it is in a way, yeah. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that because, I, as, as we were saying, I, I think people used to send, yeah. particularly young people, like when yeah. you're young, silly, funny, odd, pretentious yeah. stuff to each other. It's like other. writing poetry when you're a teenager. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Was the, Did you do that in a very earnest way do you think or was it a bit of a joke was was this kind of intense um i think 
I thought thing. I was being artistic. Right. Although, like nearly everything I did, what, at whatever age, that it's never going to be without a, a humorous uh, element Does to it. Does it get out? A, a mordant. Yeah, not so much that. Just that, that if your view of life is fundamentally that, that there's something both wonderful and funny about everything, mm. <laughs> then, then, then I, but the answer is, yeah, it was part of that kind of late teens, early 20s, like writing play. No, but it's... A, it's did you write poems when you were a... God, no, uh, no. I mean, I did at school. <laughs> you can be honest now, David. Yeah, no, I, no, no, I never did sort of... I never did the kind of um, therapeutic or, like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to write a poem about how angry I feel at my parents or whatever. No, I never did that. I mean, thank God. Um, <laughs> yeah, all, all that stuff survives now. Well, that's yeah, the thing, that's yeah. the thing. You know, it's all out there. All of your progression through those awful phases is all documented and there permanently. Yes. And I think if you'd had if you had Twitter or Facebook or, 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 or Instagram, maybe you would never have created those cards because Probably you'd, have, you'd have found a different outlet. I, or I would have been able to... The, the, the idea that perhaps it would be uh, be, be seen by in or more widely or something like mm. that would have... I'd have been held back by potential yes. embarrassment. So I think that's right. I think I wonder if that is constraining people's creative output. Well, I, I don't know because there are. It's possible to be very creative with sort of. I don't know. And now I'm going to show my age, but you know, I'm going to use the wrong examples. But with gifs or whatever, or on Snapchat or whatever, and some of these things are deliberately ephemeral, like Snapchat yes. or Instagram stories. But you get people doing the most incredible, you know, the cleverest yeah, things with bits true. of text and yeah. so on, and kind of like fuzzy highlighted bits. And yeah, yeah you so and, just get... and with so much meaning packed into yes, something apparently, yeah. simple. and reference yeah, to other things. Yeah, so yeah. you can get lost in a kind of hall of mirrors of oh, that's referring to that yes. meme, and it's a kind of. I think you're right. It's just it's just it's just convoluted the creative. Uh, it's just put it into a, a, a different set of yeah. contexts, and I think. Maybe. Yeah. But what's it's nice? Never die, is what's it? nice uh, about what you brought not. along is the physicality, because that's what we, yeah. the yeah. digital world yeah. doesn't have. And obviously, I like that with postcards. Is that the sense of these are real physical things, and that in itself has a whole set other uh, uh, meaning to it. Now, talking of postcards, um, which is kind of what we're here for. Because of your interest in language, David, I, was, I, mm. I would normally do another of these funny cards here, but I thought I'd do something different. Um, postcards at the beginning of the century, beginning of the 20th century, um, there was a sort of meme, if you like, a theme or a meme, um, the language of. And they were very keen on expressing uh, or, or codifying or, or giving people sort of idiots guides to various languages right. oh, fantastic. so a couple of cards here the language of oh. flowers now i think we you, you you hear about victorians see. understanding the language of flowers mm. but they elaborate it here i think beyond all good sense but i don't know <laughs> yeah so the language of flowers so these are messages that you're conveying with flowers so for example the red rose means i am dying with love which is not just love dying with love dying with love which is kind of you know the roses and love is not is not a leap you've got a different one from okay the narcissus apparently means when can i see you again which is actually quite you know it's quite specific oh i see yeah of course yeah narcissus should be Um, when can i see myself again but guess what forget me not means this is this is a tricky forget me not i don't know david it means do not forget me according to the card (laughs) oh and nettle 
A nettle means I have no liking for you. Okay, this makes good sense. I, I, I buy this. So some of them yeah. are easier to pass that's, than others, I think. Um, a rhododendron is be cautious. Okay. Oh, so, what, so what do you got, Paul? I thought you were going to say, forget me not, it means I, I think I've got dementia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got mine, mine are just... Don't worry, of, we'll edit that out. We're, um, yeah, you see, yours have got messages. I am... Uh, maybe they're not quite I uniform. Not poppy. I am not free. Yeah, you see, mine is. Poppy just... would be different now post First World War. Poppy yeah, would be yeah. Free about remembrance. Yeah, but that's interesting. It says I am not. See, so that's the way I'm sending a, a signal or a yeah. message to someone. Supposedly. These, mine, mine are just sort of these on this card. These are just idea, one word things. For example, um, Jasmine, faithfulness. Okay. Cornflower, riches. I'm very intrigued to see that Idlevice is cleanliness. Really? So if you sent an idle vice to somebody... Maybe that's the Swiss. It might be a hint. Yeah, yeah. I like uh, you. You're clean. Or it might be a bit yeah, of a hint. Scrub it's, up, yeah, mate. Sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, like sort of B.O. It's like sending someone some, some, uh, some deodorant or something. Uh, convolvulus is tender love. And violet, of course, is modesty. Very good. You see, I think this is legit. I think yeah, these flowers, these meanings are well known. I think they're correct. However, oh, this was sent to a Miss Bull. This one, the fashion for this kind of thing, I love this. then got a bit out of hand. There were loads of these languages of. Here's a pair. Now this is the language of eyes. Oh my God. Uh, now you have no choice over what your eyes That's are. That's true. So it's a bit more like a star sign or something, isn't it? Yes. Because you can't really change it. Are yours in French, David? No, they're mine, not. Okay, but mine are. Um, so there's there's six eyes swimming around, disembodied. They're, they're kind of surreal as well, um, just being they are there. Slightly surreal. Single as well. eyes. Um, some of them are left eyes. Some of them are right eyes. <laughs> um, Grey eyes uh, represent apparently, according to this postcard, cunning. Oh. which feels potentially a bit unfair on people with grey eyes. Not to the French, because oh. on this one it says, <laughs> you agree, yes. which is grey, is it grey? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, volonté, énergie. Oh, oh well, that's... willfulness and energy, is that? or uh, Something like that? I should know, being yes. a language person. What are don't you volunteering? So your, your eyes change meaning as you cross the channel, I imagine. Well, well that's sure interesting. So you could, if you were a cunning, grey-eyed person, you could go over and have a different life. Frankly, France. I'd better go to France. Re- remake yourself. <laughs> remake yourself as someone volonté and energy. When, when you came back, you were just a sort of sly, cunning yeah. dog. Are there yeah, any good, what, what's the good colour to have? Uh, well, OK, chestnut brown is amiable. OK, like a dog. And brown is constant. So there's a bias towards uh, brown eyes. Actually, blue eyes, uh, blue means faithful. Ah, uh, yes. I think that's a sort of traditional idea. <laughs> green is changeful. Oh, green, yes. Uh, yeah. Distrustful. See, so I've got one with a shape here, which is yurond, so round eyes. And, of course, that's credulité. Ah, oh, yeah, because you believe anything, right? Yeah, you're wide-eyed. Wide-eyed, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. wide-eyed, yeah, wide-eyed, wide-eyed and legless. <laughs> What does what what do you think you Havan Havan? Well, that looks like well, brown, doesn't it? Yeah. But that in in France is the longueur and sentimentalité. Oh, I see. Uh, I think they obviously completely changed it all. So I think the, the, the it's I great. Think really, we think it's a load of old rubbish. Is that what we're thinking? No, I think it's great. I think it, it, it's it's a bit like you go further back. Like they used to have a language of fans, didn't they? Then we, we let, when George in. Um, Regency yes. at times or Georgian times, a woman yeah. could well, signal. Well, there's the handkerchief yes. language of oh, yes. San Francisco gay yes, men. Yes, Yeah, and how you used your fans. But presumably, as you debunk various language myths in your book, mm. simple understandings of these languages are probably always wrong There's because languages, by definition, are complex. Languages are, are complex. I think these, I mean, well, with the flowers that we saw 
earlier. I think that's kind of signalling. It's almost kind of semaphore, isn't it? So yes. it's, it's a very basic code, um, but quite useful. A code, it, not a language. Well, do you know what? It reminds me of, because there is a certain groups that have been un- unable to express themselves properly, and gay men is an, is an example of that, you know, developed famously uh, Polari, which was an argo or a slang, a, a kind of language. auxiliary language which enabled them to communicate things which would have been taboo. Um, so these are a little bit like that, or certainly the flowers. There's a very basic way of getting something across. So, you, you know, saying I am not free with yes, gentian yes. or whatever it is. Mm is a way of doing a covert, covert communication. Yes, but a complicated way to live your life. I don't, yeah. I mean, but, and the eye one, you have no choice. Other well, exactly. You, you I can mean, wink your eye, but you can't. Is, well, there, a modern, here, is one, there a modern equivalent, do you think, of this, of a kind of... There are, um, of a, an under, argo. Uh, uh, yeah, an undercurrent... I mean, not the there's the obvious one of kids, you finding ways, you know, yeah. Netflix and chill, but I'm, I'm just yeah. wondering if there is, in terms of what you just said about about people... Wanting to express things which 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 were sort of taboo or repressed. Yeah, I think there will always be uh, there will always be sort of argos and and ways of getting something across because th- there are always going to be situations where you don't want everyone to know what yeah. you're talking about. Um, and you know, kids is a good example on on um, on forum chat forums or people talking about drugs or whatever it may be, and they don't want to sort of leave an obvious trace of that. I think that kind of thing is always going to go on. Yeah, and there's those they're on on sort of right wing, you know, alt right forums. They have these codes about uh, yes. you know, saying all these horrible things without actually well, one of them, them expressing them fully. Yes, and I think one of them was sort of three brackets either side of someone's name was a way of indicating that they were Jewish. Yes, and then of course Jewish people and and non-Jewish people who wanted to sort of rail against this started adopting those, reclaiming them. Yes. yes. As it were, as a as a proud thing, it's, it's a comp, and that that's in the fast moving digital communication yeah. world where these things come and they go very yeah, fast. Huge turnover, I think. Well, th- this this I think may be the apotheosis of these silly postcard uh, languages. This one here, um... the language of umbrellas. Okay, <laughs> it's not an obvious so... one, is it? It's not an obvious. <laughs> one. This is about where you put your umbrella, the kind of stance that you take. <laughs> There's a lady. Uh, you are a nice boy, right? But if you just, but she's just holding an umbrella well, more or less normally. But I think she's pointing is it, at the ground. Well, is it that she's using her right hand and she's going across her leg so it ends up she on the other side of her I left? Can't quite see. It. Oh yes, she is. she's crossing her lower body. Try this with, a, with a long, thin object. There's oh, there's one a slightly sort of poignant one, which is I'm longing to be loved. Where she's sort of cradling the umbrella, like a, like little, a baby. A, a little bit so like this, a baby. So this is actually what you're saying. This is the this yeah. is the the, the secret code she, of oh, behaviour. Look at that one. She's being very bold. She's standing with. Wasn't that the pose? That's that, the, Tory the Tory power stance. The Tory power stance, but with an umbrella thrust down the middle. So maybe, that's maybe that makes sense. Uh, no one, uh, no, no one knows why pretty, else they did that. I would say that's a pretty brazen hussy doing that. <laughs> Will you come with me? She's saying. When to, the, the problem. Uh, the problem with this is that the the. The range of this language, the number of initiates would be so small yes. that you could be standing in Russell yes. Square with an umbrella doing it every which way and no one would yeah. get what you were saying, yeah. alas, that <laughs> you, you were saying that. you wanted you know, to go you away never with know. someone. There may, be a, there may have been but, a vast But this is a subject you don't, you don't really talk about in your book, but it, which is, which is um, inventing languages. Because mm. if you're the first yeah. person to invent a language, it isn't a language. It's a series of codes, a series of signs that have no meaning. You you need a recipient to be able to communicate with. So you, if if this had taken off, this could have been you know, this could have been the internet. 
Umbrellas. Umbrellas. Uh, yeah, the language of umbrellas. Well, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll close well, our conversation about the language of umbrellas with, with, with a card that actually makes fun of the language of umbrellas, who I think they think realise this is a load of old tosh. So here's a sort of jokey cartoon. So it's headlined the language of umbrellas still, but it's uh, two guys and... Um, the caption is, to return an umbrella means, well, never mind what it means, nobody ever does it. <laughs> Which so I think is quite go. good. We, we <laughs> yeah. all know. Hats and umbrellas yeah. get lost. That's what the gloves. There's, there's that shop down the road in Russell Square, isn't there, where the, the, the lost property used to be, where they had thousands of umbrellas that were all lost property. Umbrellas I mean, I are think, there to know, be lost. Yeah. I, but, uh, they never lost very long, do they? But, of course... You know, there's a sense in which these never were meant to be real codes, never meant to be real languages. They were a fun thing to send through the post. And in a way, they're a little bit like the um, uh, the things people like to talk about about language aren't necessarily true, but they're pleasant and fun to talk about. They, they, they appeal to people. So. I like to think there's a bunch of umbrellas in that shop all communicating in a language that they've made up about us. <laughs> Maybe they are. But it's nice to think that there may, may be these secret codes around the place, and that's, you know, one of yeah. the things I talk about in my book is the romance of, of that idea of there being this undiscovered meaning, which, uh, if only you had the key, would be revealed to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if you're to look at this in a slightly historic context, um, these are basically between 1900 and 1914 when postcards were booming. I mean, there were millions and millions of cards sent every week. And so there was a real explosion of communication. There was um, uh, 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 more education and literacy amongst the working classes. People were working away from their family home. So, so suddenly this sort of mass communication was really important and really busy. So the idea that people will play with other kinds of ideas and languages seems perfectly natural to me. It seems like a sort of um, a playful kind of reflection on the communication explosion that was going on. There's a lot of my, my when uh, my father died, I found a lot of postcards that he had for, that were sent uh, by his father in the First World War. And that's a whole genre of because there was, as you say, the explosion of communication. And they, particularly from France, the mm. soldiers sent back these very kind of. It's very poignant. Mm. I didn't bring any of them because I, I, I just felt they were too. They were yeah. sort of very. They were kind of. They belong with the people who sent them and received them, I think. Yeah, no, there is definitely that. And would they have been through the censor? Would they have had a censor stamp on them? It didn't... The, I've seen some which didn't seem to have been censored, but I think that I think there was more of that in the Second World War. I don't think... that. I think the censorship, because everybody knew where all the British Army was, they were sat yeah. in a trench in the middle of France, not moving more than five yards at a time. So I don't know that that was... The, that it was... I, that's it. Maybe could try that. They did introduce, after a while, they introduced these cards where you had to just tick a box. Yeah, that's um, right. Which I suppose were the, the predecessor of the uh, jocular cards yeah, where you tick a box, same, having a nice time on the beach. Yeah. But these were saying, I am safe, I'm at the front, right. I'm well, or I'm injured, but where, but I'm, I'm alive. Or... Yeah, I might be wrong about that, essentially. I just recall one particularly, which was a sort of classic saucy French postcard, but very, very harmless, really. But obviously the, the troops liked to send it back because it was a sort of ooh-la-la and a mamzelle. Mm. Cheerful, I suppose, in yeah. times that weren't cheerful. You wanted to reassure your family that it wasn't as grim as it was. Well, the thing about those First World War cards very often also is that they don't, they can't say very much explicitly, no, no. but they underline the fact that it's the sending of the card yeah. that, that says everything, actually. Yes, they all say need. things like, just dropping a line to let you know yes. all is well. Yes, I'm in the pink. Yeah, that, that's right, I'm yeah. in the pink. Fantastic. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to podcasts from the past, the Postcard Podcast, and my guests today are Paul B. Davis and David Shariat Madari. Now, David, um, under a pile of... Um, Strange languages. We've got some more cards from you. So, what, what, what are the, what's the second lump of cards you've got for us? Well, I've got this little card, which is. Uh, I mean, perhaps you can. Can you have a guess at what that is? It's a reptile of some sort. It's a reptile. But it's sort of jewelled in some way. It's like a lizard with with lapis lazuli or emeralds all over. Yeah. So, so what is it? It's the a card kind of, almost glistens. Actually. It does it's on actually. A black I think bed, they've done it? that on purpose. To sort mm. of, so it's it's a uh, piece of jewellery from um, the Cheapside hoard, which is a hoard of jewels that was discovered in a very sort of fairy tale way. Uh, under some floorboards in Cheapside in London in the um, in 1912, and it's now with the uh, Museum of London, and it's going to be sort of showcased in their new building, which they're developing in Smithfield. But I went to see the Cheapside hoard. I think for the first time, collected together in in decades. Uh, to write about it for the New Statesman. And it was very sort of beguiling. It was uh, just a beautiful... I think the, the, the thing about these jewels is that they're all quite rough-hewn. They're okay. not sort of, you know, Swarovski, sort of shiny, sparkly. They're all quite sort of... They have that... Uh, early modern Elizabethan sort of when chunkiness does, to it, them. When does it date from that one? So I think they're all mainly from the 16th and 17th century. So this is a salamander with emeralds on its back. And I don't know whether a salamander is a reptile or an amphibian or whether there's a difference. And oh. so I'm sure you will get people writing about yeah. that. Well, it's, but, it's, it's, a, it's as much a mythical creature as a real creature, isn't it, a salamander? Well, the aspect of it that's mythical is, again, sort of related to this thing we were talking about, about special codes and communication, because lots of these jewels had um, a particular significance. So, for example, there was a... I remember a, a, a little parrot... Um, and the, the parrot was a symbol of erotic love because parrots are supposed to be promiscuous. That was a right. sort of trope a that everyone knew in those days, but it's lost on us now. Um, and the salamander is supposed to represent resurrection because oh. salamanders are reputed to be able to walk through fire and survive. 
So that was another message that sort of evoked that aspect of religious faith, really. How big is this? I mean, the postcard is postcard size, but how big is the the, the, the jewel? The, I think it's a brooch, and I don't think it's huge. I think it's probably a few centimetres oh, right. long. Because it, um, it looks kind of enormous, though. It does look detail. enormous, yeah. And I think it's got sort of pearly uh, legs. They're probably um, mother of pearl or something. Mm. Um, and just these smooth, rounded emeralds rather than sort of faceted cut emeralds so so what was the so you said sorry you said the significance was that the sort of message the, the yeah code so was so the code was that this stood for resurrection right so it was quite a pious thing to wear unlike uh, the parrot so if you <laughs> saw a, 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 a 15th century you say? Mm. if you saw a cardinal Wearing a salamander, you could that would, that be would right. make but perfect you, sense. But if yeah. your card, if you went to say, or went to the priest, and you, maybe he was wearing a parrot, you think, hello, this yeah. Is, where does this... that? Where does that? When? How long? Did, what's the origin of the parrot thing? How far? I don't back know. Does that go? I don't know. But don't what, know what, what, what surprised me at the time is that this is something, and and there were there were another one or two things that I can't remember now. I think there was another animal that signified piety or something, and you know these were obviously just characteristics that everyone sort of knew about. Yes. Um, I can't think of an equivalent today, but um, yeah. well, I think I sometimes think. I remember at school many years ago, we were reading Shakespeare or being taught to read Shakespeare, <laughs> yeah. and the teacher would uh, explain all the multiple layers of meaning and nuances, and we go, "This can't be right." Surely the people didn't understand all that stuff because words are words are words. How how do they have all these layers of meaning in it? And they said, "Well." In those days, the teacher said, people were hypersensitive, hyper acutely aware of language and and nuance. They didn't have television, so they their brain power of the theatre goer was all wrapped up in the, the the nuances and the meanings of words, and that kind of sat with me. And I don't know if I believed it, but it sat with me. But now you go onto the internet or social media in particular. And there's a sort of hyper-awareness people have of the tiniest nuances of language at which people will rightly or wrongly take massive offence or be particularly amused or pick up and uh, redouble and point out to other people as being outrageous or wonderful. Or And I, think, I, think, I wonder if we've entered now a, a sort of second age of linguistic hypersensitivity. Discuss. <laughs> there has long been a, 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 a sort of people on Twitter say petitioning for a sarcasm button, so <laughs> just to sort of say not just LOL, but just something where they can make make quite an elaborate statement, but try yes. to make it clear that they're being ironic mm. or sarcastic yes. or something like that. But as a writer, you know, if you need a button to say it, you're not doing your yeah, job you're right. Not doing it right. That's exactly what I, I mean. Would say, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to think things haven't changed as much. I think the reason that um, you know, Shakespeare, codes in Shakespeare or, or or allusions in Shakespeare that we might have to be taught, we might have to be taught them now. But that's that's not an indication that they were sort of hidden at the time. I think it's just an indication that everyone at that time was tapped into all of these other things. Like, you know, there was enormous knowledge of the Bible, for example, yes. um, and other texts that would have just been obvious and self-evident. So in other words, and they're guess hidden what? to us. They knew, the t- they knew the context of their time because they were living yes, in it. exactly, <laughs> exactly. And with, with the internet, you know, I mean, there'll be... It's like what I was saying about... Uh, memes that reference other memes and actually if you're outside of that the group 
within those within which those things are known, then it's going to be alienating. It's going to be yes. like they're speaking in code. But actually, it's a it's a web of reference of cultural and social reference that you're not necessarily privy to. So it's not so much that uh, it's, it's actually just being immersed in that that world mm. to understand things. And, and maybe there are more sort of. I mean, the internet presents great opportunity for subculture, doesn't it? For the fostering of subcultures. And uh, the weird thing is that we're able to access them and look at them and observe them, but we might not necessarily be part of them. Mm. So it, you can have that slightly disorienting experience of looking at this thing and going, what on earth are they talking about? Oh, what's yes. that reference to? Yeah. And, if you find yeah. yourself, if you follow enough, you know, you find yourself on black rap, Twitter or Sikh Twitter or certain, you know, particular Southeast Asian Twitter. It's it is very much. You, you suddenly realise that the, the, the little party you've been in in, in is not Twitter. It's not the whole world. It's not no. the whole world. By and there's any a web means. of reference there. And there, and the yeah. more, and that's why I like I like to follow those connections mm-hmm. and end up in odd places. And yeah. then because yeah. it does, as you say, it's rem- enriching. Reminds you that uh, you know to, to, to keep your mind open rather yeah. than because it's very easy to. Because that's what those platforms really want us to do: is narrow, narrow, narrow down. It's mm. like Amazon saying, "You, you've bought this book. You probably like this one." It's like, "No, thank you. I want to go to a bookshop and look at something." So I your echo chamber, Sorry. your echo chamber has windows. Yeah, let's <laughs> try and get out of it every now and again. Yeah. yeah. Now, well, that's very good. I, I like, I like what the salamander has done. Um, yeah. But that's not the only strange animal you've got with you. I've got another animal. Um, so this is, in, in postcard terms, it's a bit more conventional because the salamander I picked up at the exhibition and bought it for myself. Uh, this next one is one that my mum sent me uh, from holiday in New Zealand. So and a genuine family a, postcard in the traditional family, sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is a, and I'm prob- I haven't looked up how to pronounce this, but I'm saying it like this. It's a takahe, uh, which is a slightly dumpy flightless bird with a very powerful beak and it's just walking across a sort of a bit of grass. Great colour. Uh, beautiful, sort of emerald green kind of peacock blue uh, and a sort of yellow, well not yellow, orange, it's kind of more orange red beak. It's like a kiwi in drag or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's a kind of fancy kiwi, a kiwi on prom night or something. Um, <laughs> And the reason my mum picked this out for me is because she knows that I like uh, New Zealand birds, in particular one, the kakapo, which is a parrot that's been made famous by Stephen Fry in his TV series Last Chance to See. Now, Last Chance to See was based on a Douglas Adams radio series in 1989, which became a book, Douglas Adams and Mark Harwardine, in 1990, and which I think I bought for my brother as a Christmas present or a birthday present, <laughs> but then basically never gave it to him or oh, gave really? it to him, but basically claimed it for myself and became obsessed with this book. <laughs> and the conceit of this book was visiting all of these animals which are on the brink uh, before they disappear forever, hence Last Chance to See. It's a big idea, isn't it? It's a big idea and it's an extraordinary, it's really exciting book. For a sort of, you know, I was like I was 10 or 11 really captured the imagination because it's about adventuring, it's about seeing these extraordinary creatures. Uh, you know, there's a bottlenose dolphin in the, or the Yangtze dolphin, I think, there's the Komodo dragon. And then there's this parrot, the Kakapo, which I think is a sort of mascot for slightly awkward misfits because it's a, it's a huge parrot. It's quite rubbish at uh, reproducing and actually even doing anything. It can't fly. 
uh, it's very prone to, it's very friendly, see, it's very trusting and friendly, uh, and therefore just gets kebabbed by any human that encounters it. Um, so, Mum says, uh, I haven't found a picture of a kakapo, but actually I think a takahe is more interesting to look at, and more dignified, but probably can't boom. Because Kakapo's boom. That's how she they, knows you well. She knows me too well. But there is. So, can I just sort of evangelise for New Zealand birds? Because if they are you fascinating. Must. <laughs> so, New Zealand didn't have any land mammals. So, all of the birds, well, basically, all of the ecological niches that are normally occupied by mammals in the rest of the world, uh, whether that's sort of you're a grazing antelope or you're a predating lion. Or, are occupied by birds in New Zealand. And the birds evolved into these extraordinary shapes and uh, to do these extraordinary things because they were uh, in those niches. So there's a giant extinct bird called the moa, which, oh, yes. is, which is huge and looks like a huge kind of uh, uh, bottom-heavy ostrich. Um, and that fulfilled the ecological niche of the antelope or the deer. Right, because it was a grazing animal. Uh, there's a, there's a huge another extinct eagle called Hast's eagle, which fulfilled was the apex predator. So that fulfilled the ecological niche of the lion or or whatever. Um, I've been trying to figure out what the takahe might be a stand-in <laughs> for. So it basically it grazes on alpine meadows and alpine grasses. So it's, I think it's, it's kind of mountain goat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a goat that thinks it's a bird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's and a... I just think that's it's just fascinating. It's like a crazy evolutionary laboratory uh, by virtue of it being an island was, was sort of untouched by mammals, and have, apart from a couple you, of bats. Have you been to New Zealand to look at these things? I haven't, and that's something I must do. I think that uh, sounds like uh, yes, a, a big itch will be scratched. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have been to New Zealand, but I didn't see anything that looked like Well, that. this is the, the devastating thing, is there are only 347 of these type no, of No left. wonder I missed yeah, them. Yeah, you didn't look hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> there, are only, there are only 142 kakapos. But if I was one of those 300 and whatever, I'd be hiding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and although they're brightly coloured, they are green they've got somewhere yeah. to hide i think yeah that's yeah. true it's amazing very good very good well it, it's um it's intriguing to it's, 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 it's an insight not just into your family relationship but into your mother's knowledge of your obsessions yeah. i think that's yeah your mother, too well. mother always knows you best very sorry good. i didn't get you the xbox for christmas but i think you'll find <laughs> these socks a lot more interesting actually yeah, it's, it's that's a well-known rhythm isn't it from mother to child so paul you're staying with strange creatures yeah, actually for your last couple of cards. It's got me thinking about uh, you know what we the, the use we make of animals and creatures. I mean, the last couple I've got was like what this one I, I had on my fridge for a long time. A great and, place to keep cards. Yeah, and it's just it's just profoundly disturbing. <laughs> but, but it's just fluffy animals. However, oh, they can be very sinister. Yeah. Um, there's no caption or anything. There's no explanation given. There's no context. But essentially, there's a teddy bear tied to a chair leg. <laughs> it's all in actual size. So it's a yeah, it's a teddy bear tied tied to a chair leg as though about to be sacrificed or burned or possibly martyred in the man manner of Saint Sebastian with bows and arrows. And surrounding it or watching it rather impassively is a collection of other stuffed animals, including a bambi, a rabbit, a, a, a fluffy monkey with his hands up, a lion, and I what do you think that is? That's I've no idea. Is that a dog? Uh, is it a monk? Oh, it's a dog. I think it's, it's a dog. On its bottom. And yeah. This, this is not a photo montage. This no, is a real diorama. Someone has someone who's gone to the pr trouble of 
setting up this this scene uh, and taking a photograph of it. Um, it's no indication of what it is. Oh, it's German, which probably doesn't surprise me that much. It's called Cowboys and Indians. So, well, so. I, we're, we're thinking perhaps this was set up specifically for the photograph. It's not, it's not a postcard from a strange museum. No. It's, it's no, an image I that think... was created. Someone said, we've got to sell some postcards. I know. Yes. We'll get those cuddly toys and put them into a disgusting and terrifying... Yes, it's quite, unless this is just a snapshot of someone who has, happens to have this tableau uh, <laughs> set up in his or her house. That'll do. Yes, they go, oh, I'll take a snap of that. Those, those animals I've always, always had posed in the corner enacting a horrible and bizarre sacrifice. It's quite sort of a, a fluffy toy wicker man, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it is very much so. And, of course, those dead glass eyes yeah. are... Um, they yeah. can mean what you want them to mean. Uh, you know, it's just I don't know why I don't know where it came from or why I had it, but I just liked it. I, I well, cars like that are irresistible. Mm. And, th- and the last another... is just a, it's just a classic sort of. This this may be slightly less authentic in its um, in in its sort of photographic verisimilitude. Yes, I think the photographer would have had to have been very very keen to <laughs> to have snapped this because it's actually a photograph of a kangaroo on a surfboard, and it says, "Oh boy." How do I stop this bloody thing? <laughs> so it's a comedy. It's a, one, a jokey card, yeah, which perfect. a girl sent perfect. me from when she went to Australia in 1985. So, and it's just... 85? Yeah. You've held on to that a long time. I, I just found it in, in a, a, one of the files I did find, uh, which is old postcards, it said, but none of Brilliant. them. But, but the, this other one wasn't in there. Um, and it's just a classic example of it, but it does. It did get me thinking when you were talking about these animals, and we we kind of fetish the the, the the slightly fetishistic approach to saying, I know what would be amusing, a dog on a skateboard, and then someone else, I know what would be even more amusing is two dogs on a skateboard, and one of them smoking a pipe, <laughs> and then you just think, oh, I'll, and you'd click on that if it was a you, you, you know you'd say, yeah, that that's amusing to see, but you know. Kangaroo on a surfboard, dog on a skateboard, cat, cat at a typewriter. It's this What's weird. The, what was it? The PG tips, the chimpanzee. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, no, yeah. Hey, now that was a strange. All now banned because. Of course. Yeah. Because they, they turned out they didn't like the tea. No, it was. Um, <laughs> I don't know. They don't. Yes, they used to. But not only was it the in the advert that you used to be able to go to the zoo and attend. Oh, they would every Wednesday up, the chimps tea no, party yes. and the chimps in the kids sponsored by PG or just. No, no. This was... If only I'd known we were going to discuss this. I have a collection of postcards of chimps tea parties. Do you? We'll do it for the next series. We'll do that. Oh God, yeah. yes. Oh no, that sounds <laughs> extraordinary. But yeah, it's the anthropomorphism, obviously. But there's something else. I think there's yeah. that thing of the juxtaposition of particularly that kind of yeah, dog and a skateboard type of. It's, well, it, it distracts about you so. It's the ideal distraction yeah. if you're working. I would rather just look at a picture of a dog, you know, or a little video of a dog on a skateboard for thirty seconds, yes. and that's the ideal break. And it's sort of universal. We all yeah. want to. I mean, we, we may not feel good about it, but we all want to yeah. look at that. Or the cat falling over. You know, the, the cat failing to jump from one <laughs> shelf to the other. It's just the, there's something perfect. It just completely bypasses whatever you're you're meant to be thinking yes. about, and the labels you just to look at something, laugh, and then forget it forever. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the opposite of, of, of David's kind of 
very interesting overview of the um, um, the way animals have evolved in New Zealand. This is animals, they're funny. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> all you need to know. conforming to national stereotype as well, because I suppose if we thought about what a kangaroo would be like, they'd probably be a kind of laid-back beach guy. Yeah. Like, like, like we think Australians Don't are. you remember Skippy the well, kangaroo? I know, I know, but I didn't watch Skippy. Skippy. <laughs> He was one of those kind of so. What's that, Skippy? Tommy's fallen down the well. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so one right, of those yeah. ones. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. But also, is is yoking together stereotypes? Yeah. Surfing kangaroo. What can we do? Let me think. How are we going to make this work? I know. <laughs> and then there was whoever, whichever weirdo first had the idea that a good idea, that it would be a great spectacle to box to fight a kangaroo. Oh. Because it's There's footage of that, isn't yeah. there? Post-war, but they or do pre-war. sort of box, don't they? Yeah. Kangaroos box each other. They're, it's like so hairs. They do a mating yeah. thing. Because I've got a fantastic little clip of when, of, of when I was up in um, last time I was in Norfolk, of the of two hares giving it the boxing, right. and then mm. a third one runs in yeah. to the the arena, as it were, which is a cornfield, and then they all chase each other around in wow. a circle for about a minute. But it's it's a it's it's a mad it's the, I think that's where the mad march right, hair things yes, come yes. from. They do get very over hormonal. Right. They get very juiced up on whatever it is that makes hairs randy, and they go a bit crazy. Typical, so that's typical where bloody it, hairs. Yeah, that's obviously where that comes from. Well, my my head is spinning from these cars today, actually. But um, thank you both so much for bringing them in. Um, I'm thrilled that you shared them with, with, with each other, with me, with the listeners. Um, another quick reminder for everyone at home, you can see images of these cards, and you'll need to see them to believe them, um, on the blog postcardfromthepast.co.uk, um, including a last one from me in the past postcard style, um, which you may have seen on Twitter or the book, um, an old card from which I'm taking just a, a bit of a message. And this is um, a multi-view, as they call it, with the four images of Budley Salterton, um, and this was from 1970. First class mail, someone's written on it. An old five-penny stamp. And the bit that intrigued me. It's a message about an upcoming journey or holiday. Um, it says, after much more chat, M and Aunt are not going to travel with us, but catch an afternoon train to London. Much better so can now feel sick on my own. Yeah. So it's not like the best holiday, does it? No. It I mean, didn't end well, did it? Em, em, and Art took, em and Aunt took the train back to London. Yeah, and then they were sick. But um, uh, anyway, before I let uh, Paul and David back into the blazing uh, London sunshine, I've got one more postcard for you both. Um, which it has become customary for us to end the programme with one of these. So that's one for you to have a look at. Is this for us to identify? If you want to. Uh, Well, it looks like the Lake District again. Um, Possibly Scotland. I I feel like sort of know the silhouettes of those mountains, but maybe I'm imagining it. You're welcome to turn it over and, and oh, okay. it's not, right, it's not right, a competition. Right. There are no prizes. Oh, it's Loch Lomond, it's you were right. That's because oh, re- I've driven past there a few times. And it's, it's a hi fi musical view card. How oh. does that work? Oh, it's got a oh, oh, it's, it's got, got, got grooves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So you'd put that on your turntable. And then. How extraordinary. Have you tried to play it? Well, young Tom in the next room has been paying some attention to us, and if we ask him nicely, he might be able to turn the old technology into something newer. 
something coming up. A bit scratchy. Oh. I think she's... Is that the Bonnie Branks of Loch Lomond? So yep. they are singing about the picture. Yep. There is no dissonance between one side and the other this time. Oh, that's rather sad tune. Oh. I mean, the, f the fidelity is not bad, given that it's a piece of paper, a square piece of paper that's uh, I, being played. I, I, I say the same thing every time. It's not bad for a piece <laughs> of cardboard. It, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And I don't think it's been through the post, this one. There was no stamp on it. But Oh. There are a few scratches. But then I've got records that I'm with scratches, and they're yeah. on vinyl, oh. so... It's a, it's a very sentimental version of this, which is a sentimental song to start with, let's face yes. it. Oh, there's more. Oh. Sorry, it's not over yet. Oh, right. <laughs> it's a bit of a sort of glee club version, as it sounds a bit American, the style of singing. Well, as the banks of Loch Lomond continue to spin at 45 RPM... Fade into the gloaming. That's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts. David Shariat Madari and Paul B. Davis, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me, at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.